Thanks for joining us today as you listen to a portion of a message recorded at Vine Life Church in Boulder, Colorado. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can visit us online at www.vinelife.com. Part 8 Masterpiece. We're one of one. And the scriptural foundation for this series uh, is uh, the second chapter of Ephesians, verse 10. Okay? For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You know, a masterpiece isn't an accident. A masterpiece isn't a coincidence. You can't actually believe in God and luck at the same time. You realize that? It's got everything. God has everything all planned. And so we are the product of God's intentions. God is intentional. And the message today that I'd like to share with you, flowing through Masterpiece, is a message about being intentional. See, much of our life, we spend our time being a wandering generality, okay? We kind of go from circumstance to circumstance. We live in the moment. We can live paycheck to paycheck. How'd you get your job? Well, they were hiring, you know? Yeah, Or we can be a meaningful specific. God asks us to be a meaningful specific. And he starts that with his own intentionality. If you think about it, first of all, God intentionally created us. We're God's highest thought. He intentionally created us in the very beginning. The second thing that he did is he intentionally saved us. See, when when we were created, we we were free of being ruled by instinct. We could make decisions, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. And we made some bad ones. But God intentionally, before the foundations of the world, planned this out. And he sent his son with great focus and great intensity to save us. To plant a cross right in front of the door of hell, so to speak. You know what I mean? And then there's our journey. You know, the journey that we're on, have you ever heard it said life is, life is a journey, not a destination? I think that fits particularly well for us because we know the destination, right? We're already there. We're already there. We know that. But the journey is what life is really all about. So when you look at our creation, our redemption, And God's plan for us in our journey, what you see is relationship. We have a relationship with God. That's what you're actually seeing there. Now, how do we react in that relationship? What what, what do we do? Well, they say there's there's three kinds of people in the world. There's the people that make it happen. There's the people that watch it happen. And then there's the people who wonder what happened. You know, God hands us the world, and he hands it to us the same way he handled the the meal issue with the 5,000. He turned to the disciples and he said, you feed them, didn't he? He invited them into a miracle, and he invites us into a miracle all the time, too, in our journey. He's given us the world. When we respond to this, We have to respond by being intentional. 
by being on target. When I say on target, I don't mean that we're in the target, but we're on the way to the target. We know where we're going, and we're pursuing that with intentionality. We have a purpose. We are a meaningful, specific Part of that intentionality is about listening. Uh, We've talked about that a little bit earlier, about listening and how God speaks to us through dreams, through scripture, through prophetic words, angelic visits, even a donkey. Uh, All of those things God speaks to us with. But our ability to hear God, our ability to listen, is strongly influenced by the intimacy we have in our relationship. You see, the more we listen to God, the more we become intimate with him. And the more we become intimate with him, the more we listen to him. And it's like a cycle that flows, that sends our roots down deep in relationship where we're able to better hear what God is saying to us, what he's calling us into. Another part of listening is learning. And (laughs) I'll give you an example. Uh, Betty. Everybody gets nervous, right? (laughs) No, it's not bad. Uh, (laughs) When when Betty and I encountered each other, we met in the middle of December. We um, got engaged in early February, and we were married in early July. So that was fairly quick, and, and I know my folks were convinced she was pregnant. And that's why we were, we didn't have kids for three years, but that's, that's, my dad kept saying, something you need to tell us? No. No, no, no. But I remember our second anniversary. We'd been married for two years. And uh, the way in those days we celebrated our anniversary is Betty put her wedding dress on and uh, we still had cake in the freezer. And... uh, And the, the bouquet, I think we still have the bouquet. Anyway, I was sitting there after two years looking at her and realizing that when I went down the aisle with her, I thought I knew her. And after two years, I realized I didn't know her at all. And the same thing happened to me at the fifth anniversary. Because knowing intimacy is an unfolding thing. And what we understand about Jesus today is not the sum total of who he is and what he wants for us. So listening is about knowing. Something else we need to do is remember. uh, Earlier in this conversation, we talked about journaling. And I think we have some journals in the back of the room that give us a chance to write down things. And the reason, there are several reasons for that, but one of them is uh, to create a sense of perspective, that we can see where we've been, where we are, and think about that in terms of where we're going. We were unpacking some things a week ago uh, from the uh, flood. We had a bunch of stuff in our garage that has been sitting there in plastic tubs, and we're finally taking them out. And in there, for some reason, were about five pictures. Now, one of these snapshots One of these pictures was taken of Betty and I at her bridal shower. And I looked at that picture and thought, that will never see the light of day. Okay? Then the next picture was taken 
uh, after we were married. This was amazing. Betty was in this dress, and it was a dress that she bought for our wedding rehearsal dinner. Now, I just come back from Vietnam. I've been to war. I've dealt with the North Vietnamese. I've dealt with the Viet Cong. I think even dealt with some Chinese, but I'd never been shopping. This was a whole new thing. And I'll never forget that dress. <laughs> because I worked for it. I really did. Accompanying that was a picture of me. And if you can imagine this, I am wearing um, white and blue striped bell-bottom pants. Yeah, white shoes, a striped, vertically striped, like the pants, shirt with big puffy arms. Yeah, and the stripes are not related at all. But I wasn't sure it was me because the guy in the picture had all this hair. It did. It, I, th- I really had to look a couple of times, had a mustache. Uh, but that, yeah, that was me. <clears throat> then the next picture was taken in the early 80s, about 1982. And that was a picture of uh, Betty and I standing in our living room. And uh, I'm in a tuxedo with a bow tie, full beard. I look like Luke, kind of, with this beard, glasses. Uh, and uh, Betty is in a beautiful gown, and her hair's amazing. And <laughs> looking at those pictures, well, it's amazing now, too, honey. I'm not saying that. <laughs> looking at these pictures... I could gain perspective about the journey of my life. You see what I mean? And so when you write things down, something that strikes you one way now, in the context of the unfolding revelation of your life, can mean something completely different, something more insightful, and something more relevant than when you wrote it down. Question. Have you ever been lost? Anybody here ever been lost? Oh, yeah. Okay, good. So when you were lost uh, and you finally discovered it or acknowledged it, uh, and there was nobody to ask a question. Now, men won't ask questions anyway, but for ladies, you know, there was nobody to ask a question of, what did you do? What did you do in that situation? I think probably what you did is you retraced your steps. You went back and you said, okay, I don't know where I'm at right now, but here's where I started, and then I went here and I turned left and I turned right, and I did this and that, and ultimately, I ended up here. Therefore, if I undo that, go back the other way, I should end up where I started or find where I took the wrong turn. That's what we do. And remembering helps us do that. There's another situation that we can deal with all the time. You know, we'd like to make all our decisions based on 100% information. Wouldn't that be great? See, I'm talking about real decisions here now. If I'm standing out on Lookout Road on the double yellow line and there's a semi coming over the hill at 55 miles an hour, there is no decision. Okay? There's no decision. Either I'm suicidal and I'm going to let him hit me or I'm going to get out of the road. That's not a decision. The true decisions are the lesser of the evils, the greater of the goods. And a lot of times, they're the ones that are made without all the information. We don't have all the information. One time, years ago, we were in Spain, and uh, we were with my folks. And we were touring around southern Spain, and there's a big city there, Granada. Granada was the Moorish capital in Spain for about 700 years. 
Uh, and it's a couple hundred thousand people, and it's kind of in a valley. And you come over the mountains, and you can see this palace there called the Alhambra. You can see it, but you can't get there. There's a whole city between you and it. And we wanted to go to the Alhambra. So what did we do? It wasn't clear how to get there. We just kept pointing ourselves towards where we'd seen it and found our way through a warren of streets, few cul-de-sacs, backtrack, go left, not right, all of that, and we ultimately ended up at the Alhambra, and my mother thought I was a genius. She said, I can't believe you just drove in there. Well, I didn't, but I knew where it was. And so sometimes when it's unclear for us how to go forward, we have to remember what the goal is, what the target is. Why did we, why did we do that? I don't know, any of you here have senior moments? I have. Yeah, I see a few seniors. Yeah, well, that's good. I, uh, did you put your hand up? Uh, I found myself going in a room wondering why I'm there. Have you ever had that experience? I'm wondering why I'm there. And I have to pause for a moment and remember why I'm there. So remembering helps us when we're lost. Remembering helps us when we're unsure, and remembering helps us when we need perspective for our current contemporary situation. And then there's action. We've talked about action, too. Uh, You know, when I think of action, I think of the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, Um, because you have these four Gospels. You have four perspectives on the good news of Jesus and what he did for us. And then there's this transitional book called Acts. And, you know, you've all read this. When you get into Acts, what you see is a recording of what the apostles did. You see the whole story. You see Paul's journeys and and, uh, the miraculous things that Peter did and and uh, all of these different encounters, a church that was stalled in Jerusalem for 10 or 12 years that suddenly took fire on the tip of a spear and changed the world. God can't steer a parked car. If we're not in motion, God can't do anything with us. That's our part, that's our reciprocal part of our relationship with God. Relationship is bi-directional. Okay, I have to take a poll. You willing to be in a poll with me? I am just curious, how many of you have ever made a New Year's resolution? Have you ever made a New Year's resolution? Now, while your hands are still up, keep them up, how many of you have kept that resolution till the next New Year's Eve? (laughs) No, no. I don't think it happens, okay? A New Year's resolution is a statement of intention, but it's missing some things. It's missing some things. Why is it they don't work? What is it that keeps us from our intentions? Well, I think one thing that can keep us from our intentions, our ability to live intentionally, is our own beliefs. That's something that can hold us back. Uh, the analogy I really think of is a football game. 
So imagine a professional football game. We've seen quite a few of those of late. And so you have two teams. These are all the creme de la creme of athletes. These are the best of the best, the best of the coaches, the best of the equipment, the best of the nutrition, the best of all of those things. And these teams meet on a field. And many times, you've seen this, check me out, many times what you see them doing is evaluating how good they are by how well they're playing. And eventually what happens is you can see it overtake a team. This evaluation begins to degrade their worth, and they begin to look like they're going to get beat. You can see their faces on the, on the bench. You seen that? You can see the desperate players walking up and down and slapping helmets and shoulder pads. Come on, we're going to kill them. Let's go. Buck up. Let's get at it. And all of that. But what they've done is the same thing we can do, and that is to allow our performance to decide our worth. And when we do that, we enter into one of the worst conversations we can ever have as intentional people, and that is we start using the words always and never in the wrong way. And now all of a sudden we find ourselves saying, you know, it always works out this way. I just never can quite get it, get it right. And we defeat ourselves and pull ourselves away from being intentional people. And I think Jesus just shakes his head because it's all inside of us. Something else that keeps us from our intentions, even entering into our intentions, is the idea of habits. Uh, everybody has habits, okay? Habits are those routines that we develop that get us through life. Like I would imagine everybody here, when you get up in the morning and get dressed and off to your day, I imagine you do all the same things in the same way, you know? And that's a wonderful habit because it saves you from making Dozens of decisions. Okay, I've got to brush my teeth. Do I put the toothpaste on first or after? What am I going to do here? You know, should I comb my hair first or take a shower? And, you know, on and on it goes. Well, we use habits to take all of that pressure off of us, and we just use the habit to remove the idea of decisions. It makes it a lot easier. Anybody like making all those little decisions? Ooh, I hate them. Okay, it's like my workbench. It's covered with tools and nuts and bolts. There's probably a thousand decisions there. You know what I mean? Keep it, throw it away. Keep it, where am I going to put it? You know, why would I want to keep it? You know, all, all of that. Habits help us. But here's what habits also do. These little cobwebs that we form with habits, they're cobwebs of convenience. But if they're not kept in their place, what they become is steel cables. They become steel cables, and what they invite us into is stagnation. We become stagnated because we are comfortable. The ultimate expression of habit is uh, obsessive-compulsive disorder. That's kind of uh, the, the, the ultimate expression of that. But if we allow our habits to gratify us, then we'll not be intentional. So we have to put habits in their place. Habits are good in certain areas, and in other areas, they're not helpful at all. C.S. Lewis wrote in the Screwtape Letters, he said this, he said, Live redemptively, 
God has redeemed you, not just from sin and its penalty, but he's also redeemed from an empty life. I want to believe that there's nobody in here that would like to have an empty life. Do we have any empty life takers? Any? I see no hands. Okay. We want to make a difference. We want to have an impact. We want to be the ones that make it happen, not the ones that watch it happen or wonder what happened, right? That's what God's redeemed us to do. That's in us. That's in our DNA. It really is. And it's so human. Think about, have you ever been in a car wreck? <clears throat> you ever collided with somebody? Sure. I would bet that when you had your wreck, unless you were incapacitated, what you did is you got out of the car and you turned to the person in the other car and you said those words. Are you okay? You didn't say, oh, this is your fault. Or let's trade information. We want to make a difference in the lives of people. And so we say, are you okay? Because that's how God made us. We care about each other. We love each other. One of the hardest things that we have to deal with is taking authority. You see, life presents us with a lot of choices. And we live in this world, it's an incredible array of information. There's all this information. And there are so many people that will tell us what we ought to think and what we, what we ought to do. It makes me think of a story of this older lady. She was elderly. She was going to cross the street. And uh, she was standing on the sidewalk, and it was really a busy street. I mean, the cars were whizzing by and everything. And finally, this man came up to her, and he said, can I, can I cross the street with you? She said, sure, that would be great. And off they go into the street, and it's insane. They're zigging and zagging and going back and forth, and they, they finally get to the other side of the street. And the, the lady says, my God, that was unbelievably bad. What? You, you acted like you're blind. And he said, I am. That's why I wanted to cross the street with you. <laughs> Blind guides. There's plenty of people who want to tell us what to think and do and how to behave and all that stuff. But that isn't the way God made us. I turn myself off. God made us to think, to search the scriptures, to call on the Spirit not listen to the blind guy misunderstanding his intention. There's an idea about referent credibility, and I have a wonderful story about it, but I'm not going to tell it uh, because Betty would kill me. So we're not going to tell that story, but the way referent credibility works is this. Um, if I come to you and I say you realize that the uh, stock market is going to go up 500 points in the next week. You would look at me and probably say, how, well, how do you know about that? Or, gee, I hope so, but I think you're a little nuts, whatever it may be. But if I came to you and I said, you know, I, uh, I was on a conference call with Warren Buffett, and he said the stock market is going to go up 500 points, would you be more likely to believe it? Sure. Because of his credibility. That's referent credibility. So when we're in this place of our authority and making decisions, we have to watch out for that. That we're not making a decision based on something that we've come to believe and just accepted rather than something we've thought about. Even unto this moment. As I'm standing here talking to you about all these things, 
I hope you're having a conversation with yourself because you can think faster and I can talk. I hope you're asking yourself, is that true? Does that sound right? Where did he go? Is he making that up? You know? I hope you're thinking about that because God designed us to be thinking we're the only thing in existence that is free of instinct. We're the only thing. We're the only thing that can think. I don't think an iguana wonders about global warming. No, no. We're the only thing God created to think. Another thing we have to watch out about in taking authority and making decisions is the idea, the deception, that no decision is something other than no. Okay? Have you ever been there? You ever been in that situation where you're facing something, you don't have 100% of the information, it's not clear, you don't know what to do, and so what do you do? Well, you do nothing, which is the same as no. Now, there are times for no decisions to be right, okay? They're appropriate in certain circumstances, but what we have to understand is when we're making a no decision call, that is a no. That is a no until we decide differently. Second Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 7, speaks to us about the idea that we've not been given a spirit of fear. Fear has such an impact on us, doesn't it? We're, we're afraid of, of things, and that fear can shape our thinking. But what Paul wrote to Timothy is he said, Look, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That's what he gave us. So we're equipped to make a decision. We know how to avoid the pitfalls of uh, inactivity or inaction. We can understand that we have to seek what the Lord says, what the Spirit speaks to us, what God's Word speaks to us. We can take that authority and believe me, we have to live by making decisions, not by default thinking. Our worst decisions... The absolute worst decisions we can make will not derail heaven. And they will not lead us beyond the reach of Christ. So finding our part in God's story requires intentionality. It really does. We need to be intentional. Why? Well, first of all, if we're intentional, the end result is a transformed you, a transformed me. When we're intentional, we change. When we're intentional, we access and appropriate the fruits of the Spirit. Now we have love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Does that sound okay? Would that be all right, just to live like that? Just to have the fruits in the middle of the storms? You know, how often have you seen somebody accept the Lord, pray the sinner's prayer, and imagine their problems are over? Yeah, have you ever encountered that? I think I thought that. I thought my problems would be over, not realizing that, no, uh, they're different. That's for sure. Uh, but they're still there. 
It's a transformed you that's at stake in your intentionality. The other thing that's in stake, at stake is a changed world. You know, in Matthew 28, I think it's verse 18, Jesus is talking. This is after he's been resurrected. And he says, all authority under heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore unto the nations. I'll go therefore make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them all that I have commanded you. That is the goal of our intentionality. That's what we're after. To go to the nations, baptize, make disciples, and teach them all that we have been commanded so that we can help establish a transformed you for them. None of us is the end product, okay? We're not called just to perfect ourselves. We're called to lay our lives down for others. We're called to spread the good news. So how do we go forward? Mark, you want to come? How do we go forward? Ephesians 5... 15 through 17 says this. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Be wise. Live wisely. And what we do in that is we go forward, first of all, with discernment. You know, discernment is the ability to separate truth from error, right from wrong. That's what discernment is. And with that discernment, we have wisdom. And wisdom is the ability to judge and take the correct action based on the information and the understanding that we have. That's what Paul's talking about here in writing to the church at Ephesus. Live wisely. The other thing that caught my eye that he said is in his first letter to the church in Thessalonica uh, in the fifth chapter, verse 16. And there he says this, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit, do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good and stay away from every kind of evil. Keep what's good. Avoid the power of association. When I say the power of association, what I mean is this. If you wanted to catch a cold, let's imagine for some crazy reason you wanted to catch a cold. There's a number of things you could do. You could probably stand outside today and throw buckets of water on yourself. You could sleep in the backyard and snow angel. You could do a few things like that, but you know what the easiest way to catch cold is? Just get around somebody who's got one. Just get in the elevator with them. Achoo! Okay? It's the power of association, and Paul says, separate yourself, keep what's good, and avoid what's not good at all. an amazing masterpiece. You're an amazing masterpiece. There's 
just one of you. There's just one of your fingerprints. There's just one of your retinal eye prints. There's just one of your spirit. We're a masterpiece. But we'll not fulfill the masterpiece that God has in mind unless we discipline ourselves to be intentional. We have to be intentional. Otherwise, it's just hit and miss. Paul wrote in Galatians, this is a message, paraphrase. He says this in uh, chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. He says, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given. And then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself and don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Can we do that? Is that possible? Yes, we can be intentional. We can believe in ourselves and the power of Christ to overcome everything. We can recall our journey, our words, our scriptures, the things that have been given to us. We can do that. And we can take action. And in fact, we're the only ones that can. Because God cannot steer a parked car. Let's pray. Oh God, you're so good. You're so good. You have such a plan for us. You draw us closer to you. You lay the path out before us. God, save us from our habits and make them serve us, not us serve them. Lord, help us to draw closer to you that we can hear your voice and we can grow deeper with you and our conversation can expand into places that we could never imagine. Lord, help us to reject fear. Help us to remember our authority to make decision and give us the wisdom and the discernment that will guide our lives to your glory. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus, our King of kings and our Lord of lords. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right.